Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to Oncolytics Biotech's fourth quarter and full year 2020 conference call. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a question and answer session at the end of this call. Please be advised that this call is being recorded at the company's request. I would now like to turn the call over to John Patton, Director of Investor Relations and Communication. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Oncolytics Biotech's fourth quarter and full year 2020 conference call. Earlier today, Oncolytics issued a press release providing financial results and corporate updates for the fourth quarter and full year 2020. The replay of today's call will be available on the events and presentation section of the Oncolytics website approximately two hours after its completion. After remarks from company management, we will open the call for Q&A. As a reminder, various remarks made during this call contain certain forward-looking statements relating to the company's business prospects and the development and commercialization of Pellegria Rep, including statements regarding the company's focus, strategy, and objectives, the company's belief as to the potential and mode of action of Pellegria Rep as a cancer therapeutic, the design, aims, and anticipated benefits of the company's current or pending clinical trials, and other statements related to anticipated developments in the company's business. These statements are based on management's current expectations and beliefs and are subject to a number of factors which involve known and unknown risks, delays, uncertainties, and other factors not under the company's control that may cause actual results, performance, or achievements of the company to be materially different from the results, performance, or expectations implied by these forward-looking statements. Any forward-looking statement in which Oncolytics expresses an expectation or belief as to future results, such expectations or beliefs are expressed in good faith and are believed to have a reasonable basis. There can be no assurance that the statement or expectation or belief will be achieved. These factors include results of current or pending clinical trials, risks associated with intellectual property protection, financial projections, actions by regulatory agencies, and those other factors detailed in the company's filings with CDAR and the SEC. Oncolytics does not undertake any obligation to update these forward-looking statements except as required by applicable laws. Now I will turn the call over to Dr. Matt Coffey, President and Chief Executive Officer of Oncolytics Biotech. Matt? Thanks, John. And thanks to all listening for joining us on the call today to discuss our full year 2020 corporate update. In addition to John, I'm joined by Andrew D. Garadaro, our Global Head of Business Development, and Kirk Look, our Chief Financial Officer. We recently wrapped up one of our strongest years yet in Oncolytics as our team was able to successfully navigate the challenges of the pandemic to achieve key clinical and corporate milestones. These milestones have validated our unique oncolytic virus immunotherapy approach, advanced our lead breast cancer program towards the initiation of a registrational study, and generated multiple opportunities to expand Telerare Rep's potential mar markets into a variety of highly prevalent indications. Looking ahead, we believe we are poised for a catalyst-rich 2021. We are beginning the year with a talented team, industry-leading collaborators, and a robust clinical data set that demonstrates Pellerio Rep's potential to address unmet needs across multiple indications. Now, I'd like to revisit some of these highlights that have brought us to this point. 
and how these highlights set us up for success in the year to come. Our primary focus continues to be the advancement of Pelorea Rep, our intravenously delivered immunooncolytic virus towards a registrational study in HR-positive, HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer. A substantial unmet need exists in this indication as many currently available therapies are unable to produce a meaningful survival advantage for a significant percentage of patients. To address this need, we are conducting our AWARE-1 and Bracelet-1 clinical trials. As many of you know, these trials build upon the results of our prior Phase two study, IND-213, which showed a near doubling of overall survival with pelorurep treatment in patients with HR-positive, HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer. To support these programs and determine the design of our Phase three registration program, AWARE-1 and Bracelet-1 aim to achieve three key objectives. First, they aim to confirm Pelorea-Rep's immunotherapeutic mechanism of action to reinforce the promising survival benefit of IND-213. Second, they aim to validate the clinical utility of our novel blood-based biomarker measuring T-cell clonality to predict patient response to Pelorea-Rep. And finally, they are designed to evaluate Pelorea-Rep's ability to enhance the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors to improve best cancer patient outcomes. I'll discuss in a moment there is a robust and growing preclinical and clinical data set supporting the synergistic potential of Pelorea-Rep checkpoint inhibitor combination therapies. And over the past year, we have made strong progress in all three of these objectives, successfully achieving key milestones despite the pandemic. Several of these milestones were a result of our continued progression of our AWARE-1 window of opportunity study in early-stage breast cancer. As a reminder, the study is being conducted in Spain by SOLTI and represents the first use of our clinical supply agreement with Roche. By doubling the number of AWARE-1 study centers, we were able to accelerate patient enrollment following Spain's reopening last spring. Today, we are thrilled to say that we have fully enrolled the study's first two cohorts, which examine the effects of PELA treatment with or without checkpoint inhibitor therapy. Evaluation of these cohorts is the core objective of AWARE-1, as these patients have HR-positive HER2-negative breast cancer, the same subtype we intend to examine in the future registration study. Where one has generated very promising interim data to date, which confirmed Pella's immunotherapeutic mechanism of action and highlight how it acts on both the tumor and the patient's immune system to aid in the fight against cancer. Now, on a high level, these data show that Pella generates an adaptive T-cell-based immune response that can train the immune system to fight cancer and that it remodels normally immunosuppressive tumor microenvironments, thereby making them more amenable to checkpoint inhibitor therapy. Taking a deeper dive into these interim results, I'll discuss our most recent AWARE-1 update at the 2020 San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. These data showed that Rio increased tumor PD-L1 expression in all evaluated patients, with expression increasing by an average of 105-fold. This is a powerful result that speaks to Pelorea-Rep's potential to synergistically combine with checkpoint blockade therapy as the approval of checkpoint inhibitor is contingent on a minimum pdl one expression level in multiple indications. Data presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium also showed that 72% of evaluable patients saw an increase in cell till, the study's primary endpoint at a measure of tumor inflammation that's associated with favorable clinical outcomes. Notably, the maximum increase in cell till, an increase of an approximately 300%, was observed in a cohort 2 patient receiving Pelorea-Rep in combination with checkpoint blockade therapy. 
These data complement our previously reported AWARE 1 results, which have shown that Pelorio-REP treatment results in a high level of consistent tumor-specific viral replication, an average 14-fold increase in intratumoral CD8 T cells, and the generation of new presumptive antiviral and anti-tumor T cell clones that may facilitate a long-lasting immune memory effect against cancer. Together, these findings show that we're on track to achieve the three key objectives I mentioned earlier in the call, an example of how Pelorirep increases intratumoral CD8-positive T cells and the recruitment of memory T cells, which are crucial requirements to remodeling tumor microenvironments that can enable the success of several immunotherapies. Looking forward, we plan to report additional AWARE-1 results at AECR in April and final biomarker data from the study in the intended target population in the second half of the year. These data readouts represent key milestones for the breast cancer program as they will provide additional insights into the immune response generated in patients receiving Pelorirep in combination with checkpoint inhibitor therapy. Moving on now to Bracelet 1, our Phase 2 trial evaluating the safety and efficacy of Pelorirep-based combination therapies in HR-positive, HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer patients. Like in AWARE 1, the talent and dedication of the oncologics team allowed us to open sites and enroll patients in the trial despite the pandemic. To date, we've activated 18 of 20 sites are on track to achieve full enrollment in the fourth quarter of the year. The trial safety run has been completed with the data and safety monitoring board verifying Pella's outstanding safety profile. This is in line with what we have observed with Pella Rerup across all of our clinical studies, as we have now treated over 900 patients with intravenous Pella and have yet to reach a maximum tolerated dose. We expect to report an additional safety update from the trial in the second half of the year. As you may know, Bracelet 1 was designed in collaboration with Pfizer and Merck Serono and is being conducted under the auspices of PRECOG, a world-renowned research organization. Its design is essentially identical to that of IND 213 study with two exceptions. First, the study focuses exclusively on HR-positive HER2-negative subset of metastatic breast cancer patients, which is the patient population in which we saw the most pronounced overall survival benefit in IND 213. Second, Bracelet 1 adds an additional study arm to evaluate Pelorirep in combination with Pfizer and Merck's anti-PDL1 checkpoint inhibitor, Bivenseal. As mentioned earlier, this design was developed to support the overall survival advantage observed in INT13 by demonstrating Pelorirep's ability to induce robust anti-tumor immune response in near identical patient population. Additionally, the study aims to validate T cell clonality's utility as a clinical biomarker and evaluate the efficacy of Pella checkpoint inhibitor combination therapy. Ultimately, we expect the continued progress of Bracelet 1 to complement our AWARE 1 data set and drive, our, and drive our lead breast cancer program towards a registration study. We believe this program has been substantially de-risked as we've demonstrated an ability to advance our trials despite the pandemic and generate a very strong clinical data set in the process. These accomplishments add to our prior regulatory achievements, which include fast-track designation and a special protocol assessment agreement for this program. As we continue to move forward in 2021, I'm confident that our highly talented employees, investigators, and partners will keep us on track to execute on our stated clinical objectives. This will allow us to advance Pella Rep towards regulatory approval while simultaneously positioning the company for sustained growth. 
I'd like to shift gears a bit and revisit some of the clinical data we've generated beyond our lead breast cancer program. Over the past year, we made key stride across our pipeline, amassing clinical data and a variety of indications that highlight the broad applicability of Pelorirep's immunotherapeutic mechanism of action. I've discussed a lot of these data on prior calls, so rather than go through all of them in detail, I'll briefly touch on the key results and then let Andrew talk a bit about how they're deriving our business development strategy. In our gastrointestinal cancer program, we reported a greater than 90% clinical benefit rate in KRAS mutated colorectal cancer patients in one study, and a greater than 80% increase in progression-free survival in pancreatic cancer patients with low levels of CCAM6 expression in an NCI-sponsored randomized study, highlighting CCAM6 potential as a predictive biomarker Pelorirep response. These data, together with the prior data showing rapid maturation of dendritic cells, increased activation of CD8-positive T cells, and upregulation of tumor PD-L1 expression following Pelorirep treatment in GI cancers, form the basis of our GI cancer program and our recently announced collaboration with Roche and AIO in a phase 1-2 goblet study evaluating Pelorirep checkpoint inhibitor combination therapy in multiple GI cancer indications. Last year, we also showed the benefits of Pelorirep could extend to hemological malignancies, reporting fascinating proof-of-concept data in multiple myeloma. When evaluating Pelorirep in combination with the proteasome inhibitor crofizumib, we saw the activation of a profound inflammatory response accompanied by a 50% overall response rate and an 83% clinical benefit rate in carlfizumib refractory patients who are notoriously difficult to treat. These results indicate the first reported incidence of cytokine release syndrome associated with clinical response to multiple myeloma. The induction of a cytokine release syndrome, which can be effectively managed with well-established therapies, highlights the ability of pelorirep carlfizumib combination treatment to induce robust immune cell activation and tumor lysis in multiple myeloma patients. These data, together with our prior results from a trial showing a dramatic increase in pd one expression with Pelorirep treatment, provide yet another example of Pelorirep's immunotherapeutic effects. Lastly, I'd like to discuss some interesting data we've seen in neurological tumors, which come from clinical studies spearheaded by our collaborators. On our last call, I reported the completion of RayoGlio, an investigator-sponsored Phase 1B trial. This trial evaluated the combination of Pella with granulocyte macrophage colony-stimulating factor alongside standard chemoradiotherapy and adjuvant temozolamide for the treatment of newly diagnosed glioblastoma multiform, or GBM. Since that call, we presented results from the trial at a 2020 Society of Neuro-Oncology annual meeting. These results showed that Pella-Rear-Rep-based combination therapy was well and say it was safe and well-tolerated and produced compelling signal of efficacy in newly diagnosed GBM patients. The estimated median progression-free survival in all available patients was 7.8 months, which is encouraging given the survival rates typically observed in this extremely challenging indication. Notably, improvement in median progression-free survival correlated with the dose of Pelorirep administered, with patients receiving a low dose or a high dose of Pelorirep having estimated median PFS of 6.1 months and 9.4 months, respectively. We will continue to prioritize the execution of clinical milestones in our breast, GI, and hematological cancer programs. We believe that RioGlio data highlight an intriguing opportunity for Pelorirep that we will evaluate carefully over the coming months. 
Now, as I previewed earlier, we also recently saw some very interesting preclinical data with Pelo Rearrep in a murine solid tumor model to evaluate the potential synergies between Pelo Rearrep and CAR T cell therapy. These data came out of the Mayo Clinic from the lab of Professor of Immunology, Dr. Richard Vile, a world-renowned expert and key opinion leader in oncolytic viruses and adoptive T cell therapy who joined our scientific advisory, scientific advisory board in the fourth quarter of last year. Through his preclinical studies, Dr. Bell has begun to address a critical question about Pelorarep. And that question is, do the immunotherapeutic effects observed in AWARE-1 and other clinical studies position Pelorarep to synergistically combine with immunomodulatory agents such as checkpoint inhibitors or beyond checkpoint inhibitors? To answer this question, Dr. Vile and his colleagues evaluated Pelorarep CAR T cell combination therapy in a solid tumor model. Now, despite their success in hematological cancers, CAR T therapies have not historically been successful against solid tumors due to immunosuppressive tumor microenvironments that promote T cell exhaustion and exclusion. This was the scientific rationale for this preclinical study, as AWARE 1 data have demonstrated Pelorarep's ability to recruit T cell to solid tumors and reverse the immunosuppressive microenvironment. The results from the study showed that this rationale was well-founded, as they directly demonstrated Pelorarep's ability to synergistically combine with CAR T cells and enable their success against solid tumors in preclinical model. Specifically, the results showed that loading CAR T cells with Pelorarep vastly improved their persistence and efficacy in mice, in stark contrast to prior studies showing that the oncolytic virus, VSV, actually weakened CAR T cells. The efficacy of Pelorarep loaded CAR T cells was then further enhanced by treating mice eight days later with an intravenous Pelorarep boost, which led to generation of highly persistent CAR T cells, the inhibition of recurrent tumor growth, and ultimately tumor cures. These synergistic effects appear to be specific to Pelorarep as following CAR T Pelorarep therapy with an intravenous boost via VSV did not prevent recurrent tumor growth. Ultimately, the successful translation of these results into the clinic would represent a major accomplishment, as it would substantially broaden the applicability of CAR T cells to a variety of highly prevalent and difficult to treat solid tumor indications. We are now specifically pursuing a partnership strategy to further development of Pella as an enabling technology for CAR T cells and additional immunotherapies that stand to benefit from its clinically demonstrated ability to recruit immunofactor cells to solid tumors. It is our goal to identify partners that will take the lead on this development pathway and assume the research responsibility and costs associated with it. Through this strategy, we aim to minimize risk while retaining upside in the form of upfront milestones and royalty payments. With that, I'll now hand the call off to Andrew to call about how we are leveraging Pelorare Rep's inherent advantages in our robust clinical data sets to drive our BD efforts and the advancement of our pipeline programs. Andrew? Thanks, Matt. As we said in the past, our goal is to secure a global clinical commercialization partnership to both facilitate Pelorarep's approval and maximize its commercial opportunity. Our efforts to achieve this goal are bolstered. First, there's Pelorarep's robust clinical data set. Second, German biotech companies and improving the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors by pairing them with oncolytic viruses. This is demonstrated through several deals done by companies such as Merck, BMS, and J&J. And finally, there are Pelorarep's inherent advantages over other oncolytic viruses. 
Now, since Matt has already highlighted point one in this part of the call, I'd like to speak briefly about points two and three, starting with the last one. Almost all other oncolytic viruses in development either have at least one, and often both, of the following two characteristics. They require special handling procedures due to biosafety level three classification, or they require intratumoral delivery and therefore cannot reach metastatic disease. Pelorirep, on the other hand, is administered systemically by nursing staff, requires no special handling procedures, and has been clinically demonstrated to selectively replicate in local and metastatic tumors. These characteristics offer us substantial competitive advantages over other oncolytic virus companies as we pursue partnerships with industry leaders. In our pursuit of these partnerships, we are following an approach that has a track record of success based off those large pharma deals I mentioned earlier, which have typically been preceded by initial collaborations designed to evaluate the feasibility of potential combinations. In 2020, we successfully executed on this approach, fostering collaborations with industry leaders inside of Roche through the Phase II IRENE and Phase I-II goblet trials. While these trials target triple negative breast cancer and GI cancer respectively, there are several parallels between the two trials that demonstrate that the broad applicability of Pella's mechanism of action. In both triple negative breast and GI cancers, the approval of checkpoint inhibitors is contingent on minimum tumor PDL1 expression levels not seen in many patients, low PDL1 expression levels, and immunosuppressive tumor microenvironments ultimately limit checkpoint inhibitor efficacy in these indications with only about 20% of triple negative breast cancer and approximately 20% of GI cancer patients responding to these therapies. Despite these low response rates, checkpoint inhibitors have been commercially successful in these indications, with the checkpoint inhibitor market as a whole expected to reach $55 billion worldwide by 2025. Given Pelorirep's intravenous route of administration and the extensive synergy data Matt mentioned earlier, we believe there's an exciting opportunity for Pelorirep to help checkpoint companies accelerate their growth by increasing the number of patients who are eligible for and respond to checkpoint therapy. It was this opportunity that ultimately facilitated the collaborative IRENE and GOBLET trials. As a reminder, IRENE is a phase two study evaluating Pelorirep in combination with Insight's anti-PD-1 checkpoint inhibitor Redifanlimab in triple negative breast cancer patients while Goblet is a phase 1-2 study evaluating a combination of Pella and Roche's anti-PDL1 checkpoint inhibitor, Decentric, in patients with metastatic pancreatic, metastatic colorectal, and advanced anal cancers. Notably, these trials will also collect, collectively evaluate the utility of the T-cell clonality and TCAM6 biomarkers Matt mentioned earlier. We look forward to the continued progress of these trials over next year with the initiation of dosing goblet expected in the first half of the year, and an interim safety data update from IRENE expected in the fourth quarter. Together, the IRENE and goblet trials are just the latest examples of how we are successfully executing our business development strategy. As they follow the template laid out in Bracelet and our ongoing study with BMS evaluating Pella-Optivo combination therapy in multiple myeloma patients. Looking forward, the progression of these clinical studies, particularly those in breast cancer, will be our primary focus. However, we also recognize that Pelorirep's clinically demonstrated ability to upregulate PDL1 expression and recruit high concentration T cells to solid tumors expands its business development and partnership potential beyond just checkpoint inhibitor combinations. 
As Matt mentioned earlier, we have already seen exciting preclinical data suggesting that Pelorirep synergistic benefits can be extended to additional immunotherapeutic agents, and we are pursuing a partnership strategy based on these findings. As we progress through 2021 and beyond, we're committed to executing this strategy in a way that preserves our primary focus and resources centered on advancing our clinical studies, particularly in breast cancer. We aim to do this by relying on high-quality partners to spearhead Pelorirep's development as an enabling technology for CAR T-cells and other immunotherapies that require immune cell infiltration in solid tumors. This will allow us to achieve an optimal risk-benefit balance as we take advantage of Pelorirep's potential to synergistically combine with a variety of additional immunotherapeutic agents besides the pdl one checkpoint inhibitor class that is our current development focus. With that, I'll turn the call over to Kirk Luck, our CFO, to discuss our financial results for the fourth quarter and full year 2020. Kirk? Thanks, Andrew, and good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to report in 2020, Onclinics was able to establish and maintain a strong financial foundation while advancing the development of Pelorirep. Our cash and cash equivalents improved to $31.2 million at the end of 2020, compared to $14.1 million at the end of 2019. I'm also happy to report today, we've been able to continue building on our financial position, having raised over $20 million from our at-the-market facility in the first part of 2021. Importantly, as of today, our cash and cash equivalents are now approximately $50 million, and our financial runway now extends well into the second half of 2022. Our operating expenses for the fourth quarter of 2020 were $4 million, remaining relatively consistent with 2019's fourth quarter expenses of $4.1 million. For the full year 2020, our operating expenses were $12.5 million compared to 9.6 for the full year 2019. This change is largely due to increased directors and officers insurance premiums, increased investor relations and business development activities, and associated professional expenses. Research and development expenses for the fourth quarter of 2020 were $4.1 million compared to 2.7 for the same period last year. For the full year 2020, R&D expenses were $12.9 million compared to $10.8 million for the full year 2019. In the current quarter and full year 2020, in addition to progressing our AWARE 1 and Bracelet 1 studies, we also began trial initiation activities related to our Goblet study. In 2020, we also made changes to our R&D personnel to better support our clinical development program. Now, finally, net loss for the fourth quarter of 2020 was 9.3 million compared to 19.4 million in the fourth quarter of 2019, equating to a net loss per share of 21 cents for the 2020 period and a net loss of 71 cents per share for the 2019 period on a consolidated basis. The net loss for the full year 2020 was 22.5 million compared to 33.1 million in the full year 2019, equating to a net loss per share of 56 cents for, 20, for the 2020 period and a net loss of $1.50 per share for 2019 on a consolidated basis. With that, I'll hand it back to Matt. Thank you, Kirk. Before we move on to Q&A, I just wanna note how incredibly proud we are of what we've achieved over the last year. It is truly a testament to an extraordinarily talented and dedicated team of employees and partners. Thanks to their hard work, we've generated strong clinical data across all our pipelines. Together, these data illustrate how Pelorirep's immunotherapeutic effects leave it poised to have wide-ranging clinical benefits. 
On the strength of these data, we continue to steadily progress towards a registration study in our lead HR positive HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer program while simultaneously executing on additional studies that broaden Pella Rear Rep's commercial opportunity. This execution in turn fosters our industry partnerships, which deliver additional value to our stakeholders. Looking ahead, we will continue to be data-driven as we advance Pella Rear Rep's development. We will be strategic in our approach, prioritizing the execution of our stated clinical milestones while selectively engaging partners to generate value where additional opportunities arrive. We expect to continue achieving a steady cadence of value-creating milestones throughout 2021 and beyond as we work to generate value for shareholders and, most importantly, improve the lives of our patients. With that, I'd now like to open the lines to take some questions. Operator? At this time, if anybody has a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that would be star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Wang Zili from Lautenberg. Your line is open. Hello, Wang Zili. Hello? Wang Zili, are you on mute? Oh, I just heard him. Hello, Wendy. You're, you're very faint. He has taken himself out of queue. The next question comes from Patrick Treccio from HC Wainwright. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I have a follow-up on the Mayo Clinic study that showed Pella vastly improved persistence and efficacy of CAR T-cell therapy. First, I'm just wondering if you can frame for us how this data compares to other combination preclinical studies of CAR-T and solid tumors. Uh, was this the first positive preclinical data generated in combination with an oncolytic virus? Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, the concept of using an inflammatory um, causing agent to promote CAR-T uh, access to the tumor is, is, I think, a novel idea. I mean, we've seen um, City of Hope published something about six months ago the difference, though, is um, we're actually seeing cures with, with rheovirus, which I, I find fascinating. And the second aspect is um, the, the, the method of carriage. What they've done, if you look at the evolution of CAR-T work, I mean, the first-generation CAR-T um, were pretty primitive. Um, they didn't persist very long. Um, and then eventually, generation uh, two, they introduced co-stimulatory molecules, either CD28 or uh, 41BB. Um, the third generation, which we're currently in, actually has both of those co-stimulatory model, um, molecules. So the CAR-T persists much longer, um, which just means they have a greater opportunity to do their job. The fourth generation, people are actually going to sacrifice one of those co-stimulatory molecules uh, to give up that persistence to include genes for things like IL-12 that will recruit uh, additional T-cells. The interesting thing is basically what the male has done has generated a de facto fourth-generation CAR-T by adding an inflammatory element to the CAR-T that's stably uh, expressed and held to the CAR-T. So as opposed to generating just a single chemokine or cytokine, um, having the virus present actually generates a cascade. And I think the unique thing here is that you're actually getting the cures in animals. And the one thing that really fascinates me, if you read the paper, um, some of these animals at day 40 and day 50 started to experience tumor regrowth. And uh, what the investigators at Mayo demonstrated is you can go in 
with specifically rheovirus, uh, add that to the bloodstream, and it re-engages those T cells to eliminate the tumor mass. And we're comfortable saying it's the T cells because the model that they're using doesn't actually support rheovirus replication. It's a B16 model, which in vitro doesn't actually support replication. So I think this is a massive breakthrough, and I think it, it's really the love child of the AWARE-1 study because I think that's the first clear examination of how the virus is engaging uh, the immune system, how it's remodeling the tumor microenvironment to become so pro-inflammatory. And I think what Mayo has done here is taken the learnings of AWARE-1 and applied it to a, a specifically new area in CAR-T, and I think it's, it's very promising. We've actually had a lot of interest from pharma in this regard. Um, Patrick, as you know, CAR-Ts are a very hot item right now, um, but their challenges are, you know, they don't target solid tumors. They can with the virus. They don't persist long, but again, they can with the virus. Eventually, it would seem that the CAR-Ts run out. Uh, their populations are depleted by six or eight weeks post-treatment. But what the Mayo Clinic has demonstrated is that by boosting, you can somehow re-engage or increase these populations of T-cells, uh, which is fascinating because, again, it speaks to the fact that we must have some immature T-cells or CAR-Ts that are present um, that can be re-stimulated or re-engaged through a boost of the virus. And I think, you know, as a commercial entity, we can, you can very well see kits where virus is applied to the CAR-T at the factory and, um, you know, booster shots will be provided for the patient so that if there is recurrence or if there is uh, only a partial response, the patients have, I think, a serious chance at uh, improving those outcomes. You, you just alluded to it, but if you could just give us an idea of how uh, an idea of how discussions are going around potentially partnering the Pella program in combination with CAR T. I'm wondering if the level of interest has increased following the recently released preclinical data, and I, what would the timing for that something like that look like, or next steps look like in terms of moving the program forward in combination with CAR T in solid tumors specifically. Well, it's interesting, actually, because if you consider it, um, we're in partnership with multiple parties around the Phase 3 breast cancer program. But the Phase 3 breast cancer program is about to start a Phase 3. So for a corporate partner, the, the barrier to entry is quite higher because they have to be sure that the randomized Phase 2 was legit and valuable, that all the supportive studies of Wear One and Bracelet are adding to that knowledge, um, because we're going to be looking for a larger upfront because it's the Phase 3 asset. But the farm partner is going to be immediately incurring costs for that phase three registration study. So as opposed to, you know, the deals that you see in the preclinical and phase one space where you get a 10 or $20 million upfront payment, um, and then they forget about you for five years while you come up with your proof of concept, and there's the promise of billions way down the road, we're looking for investment immediately. Now, the CAR-T opportunity, I think, flips that on its head a little bit. Because it's, again, going back to a new therapeutic area. So it'd be a phase one partnership opportunity. So I think it'll be much easier to engage partners um, because we're not looking for that massive upfront with uh, co-payments on enrollments and uh, regulatory filings and manufacturing filings and all the marketing that happens during a phase three program. What we're simply looking for is a partnership with upfront milestones and royalties uh, in the phase one environment. So um, I'll let Andrew speak to it, but we think the transactionability of uh, that type of arrangement can happen much more rapidly than uh, what we're doing uh, in the breast cancer space. Andrew, would you like to uh, add to your, your experiences of the level of interest we're seeing? Yeah, I think it, the interest is strong. Um, it, it addresses one of the critical unmet needs of the CAR-T therapeutic space. Um, as, as you already alluded to, Matt, um, it's a different dynamic 
Um, and it's a different dynamic because um, you're, you're trying to decide whether you're going to license this with an eye towards uh, an eventual downstream phase one trial first, as opposed to an eventual phase three. So the, the ask is more modest. Um, uh, we've, we've looked at a lot of deals. We think that um, we are definitely credible uh, in what we, we are aspiring to do. And we said, you know, the upfronts are more modest. Um, you're not talking about a phase three ready asset. So um, we think that um, there's that we're going to have some success here. Uh, we're excited about it. Obviously, news at 11 on it because the data only just came out. So we're still baking it from a BD perspective. But um, I, I'm especially uh, heartened by what we're seeing so far. Got it. And I'm wondering what your views are then on combining Pella with bi-specifics, um, particularly those targeting CD137 and PDL1 or other co-stim domains uh, with a checkpoint inhibitor and potential there as well, both uh, combinations with solid and liquid tumors in, in those combinations. I think that opportunity is vast. Um, the CAR-T space is super sexy right now because the, the results they're seeing in hematological malignancy are just so, so impressive. They're taking, you know, five-year survival rates of 7% and moving it to 70 and they're doing it with the patient's own immune system, which I find, you know, I think very empowering to the patients. The difficulty is the manufacturing of CAR-Ts. Because they're autologous, they have to come from the individual patient. Uh, they have to be genetically modified. They have to be expanded. The patient then has to be immunodepleted, and then it goes right back to the patient. So collectively, the cost and time and expense of CAR-T uh, make it very much a niche product. Now, uh, there are companies that are developing allogenic CAR-Ts, so one donor would generate T-cells. They would be genetically modified so that they wouldn't be immunologically foreign to multiple parties so that you could grow it up more like a cell-based therapy, um, which will, I think, dramatically expand the opportunity for CAR-Ts, like dramatically expand it because it gets past that um, individualized aspect of it. The great things about Biospecific is they're showing very much like CAR-Ts fantastic results in heme malignancies, uh, especially B-cell uh, malignancy. But they really have been challenged by uh, the solid tumor microenvironment because they're exclusionary to T cells and they're exhausting to T cells. Um, with bispecific antibodies, um, what we can do, um, and what, what actually uh, colleagues of ours in the Netherlands have demonstrated, you can turn an ineffective model on solid tumors into one where you get very effective treatment into the animals. Um, I think we have multiple targets that we can pursue. Um, and I think we can probably do this across partnerships as well because each company has their own unique epitope that they're interested in. Uh, in terms of uh, co-stimulating or targeting things like PDL1, um, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I, I really believe that this approach, um, because its ability to expand T cells, activate T cells, and recruit T cells, um, we're, we're just beginning to understand how valuable this asset is and how many different areas it can be used against. And I think we're fortunate that we have talented uh, scientific advisory board members and collaborators that are exploring um, the use of these agents in, in areas that I don't think people had even thought about using them 12 months ago. Yep, that's really helpful. Thank you very much. Okay, and if anybody has a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Wang C. Lee from Lattenberg. Your line is open. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my question again. Sorry for the technical issue earlier. Um, so congratulations on all the progress. Um, uh, maybe first starting with this CAR-T part, just uh, one technical question. Um, 
is this going to be manufactured separately from the CAR T or in the post is also preloaded? So can you provide more color on the manufacturing for this approach? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the big things that um, we've been looking at. I mean, by the time things actually enter the public domain, like a poster or a publication, um, we're, I, I think people aren't aware of the length of time it takes to get the, the, the volume of results uh, that are required to get to a publication. I mean, it's not measured in days, it's not measured in weeks, it's measured in months and years. So we've been thinking about this question uh, from a commercial aspect, and actually we've had it with even some of our potential partners. The two options are you can you can add the virus, because basically all it is is you have an adferesis product or, or a collection of blood cells in this instance, CAR T cells that are, are kept at four degrees so that they're viable but in stasis. They're not replicating. They're not doing anything. Um, we then simply take a solution of virus and saline and apply it to those CAR T cells at four degrees so that what you eventually get is adherence of the virus through its cell receptor to the outside of the CAR T cell. Um, and we want to do this at an MOI that engages uh, a sufficient number of virus per cell that it will actually track well to the solid tumor. Now, the options are we can do that at the facility, um, which you know they would they would they would create the blood product or the CAR T product. They would terminally differentiate it by growth factors and what have you. At that point, we could actually apply the virus. And what's nice about doing it um, in the factory setting, if you will, um, is there's a high level of uh, control because it's a GXP environment, so there'll be a lot more SOPs, uh, a lot more rigor, uh, a lot greater ability to have uh, testing equipment like HPLC present to to verify the amount of virus, what have you. Um, that uh, really is dependent on stability studies, how long the virus persists on the CAR-T, and those studies are underway. Um, the other aspect that we can do is obviously CAR-Ts are made in the factory. Uh, they are then returned to the hospital center for uh, infusion into the patients. Um, prior to the infusion, we can have the pharmacist at the hospital make up the solution, uh, apply it to the virus, uh, rock it so that there's proper adherence over the course of an hour, and then apply it to the patient. So both are available to us. Um, really what's going to dictate is the stability study. The strong preference from industry partners is to sell the whole thing as a kit. So there would be uh, basically a generation of this fourth CAR-T that signals to the immune system, uh, that retains both co-stimulatory molecules plus the chimeric T-cell receptor, um, and then, you know, obviously have that quality control to release from the clinic. That's the preference, uh, but it'll really depend on how long that, that combination product is stable. Got it. That's helpful. And then you also mentioned the bispecifics and I think the T-cell engagers, and because the your virus is shown to increase the T-cell infiltration, I think it will make uh, mechanistically synergy with T-cell engagers. So um, have you thought about or tried using the also engineering virus to express the T-cell engagers locally inside the tumor to secrete the T-cell engagers? So then synergize with your, your oncolytic virus. That That is another possibility. Is I mean, we're somewhat limited by the payload size of rare virus, but it is something that you know, we're exploring right now with uh, our translational research scientists. Okay, got it. Uh, maybe last question on the well one, the final data set, um, just need more color, is it going to just more new data from the, the other three cohorts, or are we going to see anything new for the cohort one or two? It, it's predominantly uh, new results for cohort one and two. 
because of the volume of tumor tissue that we get, we can do a great deal of research. So historically, we presented things like T-share sequencing with some um, uh, immunohistology. So basically, very early characterized in which cells are present. Um, the more advanced things that we can actually do because we have so much tissue is nanostring. So we can define what's happening at um, the molecular level. We can actually look at what genes are being expressed, what the changes to the chemokine, cytokine environment are. But we're also doing imaging mass cytometry. And that's a very valuable tool for us because it allows us to look at a tumor section um, look where the viral replication is and see in a spatial orientation um, which immune cells are brought to the infection. Because what we want to see is, is a, a massive influx of inflammatory cells uh, that are CD8 positive T cells. What we don't want to see uh, is tumor infiltrating lymphocytes that are Treg. And the reason for that is why, whereas CD8s promote an inflammatory or pro-inflammatory event, um, the Treg cells largely suppress that. Now, early data that we have uh, from a collaboration with uh, Halozyme is that the virus will actually accumulate both with the ratio being in favor of the CD8, so we get more inflammatory than anti-inflammatory. But when we add the checkpoint inhibitor, um, what we're finding is there's a decrease in Treg. So with things like imaging mass cytometry, uh, we can actually see which cells are brought in, which uh, assistant or associated cells are there, uh, are antigen-presenting cells effectively, uh, generating the T-cell response that we, we see because it's going to be both presumptive antiviral and anti-tumor, um, but we can really start characterizing that response. And I think, you know, using new systems uh, like pdl one expression or, or the Ventana pdl one expression, um, we can actually see how many patients are converting from patients that wouldn't normally be eligible for checkpoint blockade into those who are, because you can imagine if we get 20, 30, 40, 50% increases uh, in patients who are eligible for checkpoint blockade, and, and what I'm saying is agents or indications like TC or triple negative breast cancer, where you have a threshold PDL1 requirement to get access to that drug, if we can improve that by 10, 20, 30, 40 percent, um, it's a massive difference to the bottom line for agents like T-centric. So it gives us a lot of data. Now, the focus really is going to be the difference between cohort one and cohort two which is the primary thrust of the AWARE1 study because it, it really lets us design that phase three program. Um, and as we alluded to on the call and earlier, where we're seeing the cell tool changes have largely been in cohort two, um, which adds the T-centric. So we think in terms of getting a pro-inflammatory event, um, it looks like the checkpoint inhibitor is actually playing an important role. Um, but through nanostring technology, through uh, imaging mass cytometry and, and immunohistology, uh, we'll have a much better picture of what the contribution of the checkpoint inhibitor is. We'll also provide additional data on cohorts three, four, five, um, but those cohorts are pretty skinny. They're only like sort of four or five patients each, um, which was by design. It was an exploratory to see whether or not we could get viral replication. Um, and I think this is important because we've never seen this level of viral replication in the tumor. Um, you know, normally we get a lot of double-stranded RNA, which is our pro-inflammatory signal. Um, but to see that much viral protein um, basically suggests, you know, when we're seeing 80% tumor infection in, in the tumor, we're looking at a time point of three weeks. But I think what people don't recognize, once you've gone down that road of replicating the virus, the cells aren't viable. They've already introduced apoptotic pathways. Um, so when we see 80% of the tumor being productively infected, what we're de facto saying is 80% of the tumor mass is now uh, not a tumor mass. It's a viral factory. 
and inevitably those cells will go towards cell death, whether it be apoptosis or phagocytosis mediated by monocytes. So I, I think breast cancer, the more data that we get out of it, I, I think the more compelling it is. It explains why we see single agent activity. And again, I'd have people look at the publication by Gola Moody. When we used virus as a monotherapy, we actually did see objective response in anthracycline refra uh, refractory breast cancer patients. Um, and it took six months for it to manifest as an objective response. So really what that tells us is there's that engagement of the immune system that takes time in a patient to manifest. And then seeing those uh, exquisite overall survival results in IMD213, again, points to the fact that breast cancer is unique in its responsiveness to the virus. And then what we're seeing on the AWARE one study, just in terms of the amount of viral replication, uh, the rapidity of that replication and its engagement of the immune system, I think taken together really tell a very compelling story of why breast cancer is such a great indication for us and such a great lead. But then in behind that, through Andrew's activities and the rest of the team's activities, we'd have been able to engage groups like Roche to look at other signals we've had in GI where, you know, the NCI demonstrated uh, a near doubling of PFS in patients that express CCAM6 at a low level, which is, you know, a common feature of a lot of pancreatic cancers. And then we're coming out of Montefiore that demonstrates, you know, uh, clinical benefit in the vast majority of patients with KRAS disease uh, and engagement of the immune system. So I think, you know, through these collaborations, um, we, we, we have a unique opportunity to really tell a beautiful story. That's very helpful. Thanks a lot. At this point, I have no further questions in queue. I turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. Well, again, um, I appreciate it's early, especially for the people on the West Coast. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for joining us on the call. We look forward to our continued advancement of Pelerirep, and we'll keep everyone updated along the way. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. This concludes today's conference. You may now just... What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.